All right, so um, the last time that we were together, we began asking or trying to attempt to answer a question. Um, we're going to pick up where we left off last time, but since it has been a couple of weeks in between, I want to do a quick little catch us up to speed uh, from where we left off. Um, that way, if anyone wasn't here, then you're not just dropping in at the very tail end of it. Um, and then we're going to try to hit the text that we didn't get to get to last time and then draw some conclusions from it. Y'all good? Y'all ready? All right. Um, so the question that we attempted to begin answering last week is this one. Is the intermediate heaven a physical place or does it have anything physical about it? Uh, there was kind of the approach that I put forward last week um, was there's two parts and we got through the first part but for the sake of you know us all being on the same page I want to I want to kind of do a quick overview and as a result of wanting it to be as quick as possible I'm going to read <laughs> um, some of the summary statements that I put together around what we talked about last time um, so that I don't go off on tangents as I reconsider them by reading it all over again so um, so if you want if you weren't here and you want to catch that full thing, um, by all means, go back and listen. Hopefully, I do a good job of catching you up um, if you're just now dropping into this this week. So the question is, the intermediate having a physical place or does it have anything physical or any physical properties about it? Um, we wanted to look at Scripture, and I grouped Scripture into two categories. Category one um, includes scriptural accounts where a living human being encounters heaven, and category two is scriptural accounts where heavenly beings interact with our physical world. Um, we will exclude accounts that are clearly stated as visions, as these leave room for doubt concerning the physical nature of the experience. We will also exclude any accounts that are not found within a historical narrative, so like prophetic literature or apocalyptic literature. Uh, this will ensure that the clear intention of the text that we evaluate is understood to be a real and historical account. So if you're wondering, as, as we kind of touched on these last week, why it was that I selected those, it's because they fall into those, uh, kind of fall under that criteria. So as we looked at the first category, this humans experiencing this intermediate heaven, um, we looked at several passages of text, and I'll touch on them just briefly. So Acts chapter 7, verse 55 and 56, this is the account where Stephen, as he's being stoned, looks into heaven, the heavens open, and he sees Jesus. So consider here that Jesus, who is alive and clothed in his physical resurrection body, is seen by Stephen while Stephen is alive and awake. Jesus is literally in heaven while Stephen is granted sight to see with his eyes his Savior standing in approval waiting to receive him into his presence. So that's Acts chapter 7, verse 55-56. We looked at that last week. Another one that we looked at, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses, or not last week, it was actually two weeks ago. Um, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 2 and 3. Uh, this is where Paul is boasting, and in the midst of his boasting, um, he mentions this guy that he knows, um, and we understand this to be 
um, his humble brag about himself going into the third heaven. And when he does this, we consider from this here that um, it's unclear to Paul if his experience was embodied or disembodied. And this confusion alone gives insight into his experience in heaven. At the very least, we could say that his experience in paradise was such that it did not eliminate the possibility that some elements of his experience were familiar to a person who knows all too well what a physical existence is like. Uh, we followed up, and this is the last in the category of humans experiencing heaven here. We followed up with 2 Kings chapter 2, verses 11 and 12, and this is where Elijah is taken up into heaven. Here we find an experience very similar in account, at least preserving to the key elements of Jesus' own ascension into heaven. Um, and it's safe to conclude from this account that Elijah entered into heaven in the body he was taken up in. While this opens up a lot of other questions regarding the state of his bodily existence after the ascension, it's clear that the intention of this text is one of Elijah being taken physically into heaven. Am I doing so far so good on the recap, trying to, trying to make best use of time here. So we're still in the recap. Now we transition over into the second category, which is heavenly beings who are interacting with our physical reality. And here we began looking um, at this side of the exploration in Genesis chapter 3, verse 8. Here we see God himself walking in the garden. Um, and here we find that the that before the fall, God himself walked amongst his creation, interacting with it. Indeed, Adam and Eve became aware of God's presence when they heard the sound of him walking in the garden. The real physical nature of this encounter just jumps off the page as we read it. So real was his, his physical presence that they believed they could hide from him among the trees in the garden. Uh, continuing on to Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 28. Here we see the interaction with Gabriel and Mary. Uh, and, in, and in this discussion, as we were considering it, we see that Gabriel is sent from heaven to a city. From this we can conclude that he is not in all places at all times, but has an existence that can be described by its physical position in space and time. Gabriel has an identity that is preserved over time. It follows that he has a consistent appearance that differentiates him from other angels. We could conclude then that if we saw him, he would look similar to us as what he looked like when he appeared to Mary. So that's some continuity between, uh, between the moments and times that we would see him. And there's some important things to consider, uh, consider there. We finished up last week, uh, look, or the last time we were together, looking at Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 15. And this is a fairly long passage of text, but here we see in this text angels interacting with the shepherds here who were tending their flock. And from this, again, in this account, the angel displays similar attributes to Gabriel in the Gabriel account that we looked at previously. The heavenly hosts 
that it mentions are clearly distinguished one from another. They're not blended together. They interact with the physical world in real ways. At the very least, it can be said that the heavenly host can take on physical form in a consistent manner. Now, um, if you were here the last time, I kind of like that the idea of Gabriel and the angels and them being spirits and there being this continuity and consistency in their appearance, in their identity, like being able to have a name is an important thing that we may just pass over, but a name identifies what? And it identifies who we are. And the angels have names, right? We see that specifically when we're given the name of one of them who is Gabriel. They are not all one existence or one from one essence, right? They are distinct and individual. They have their own identities. If you saw one and then saw them again, they would be distinct, right? Uh, this is important, I think, to point out. Um, and I kind of wrote down a, a note here in in regards to why I, that's a dead horse that's worth kind of going back to and, and beating again and again and again here. Um, there's a major distinction that we see in the truth that we see, just in the way that, the, that spiritual beings preserve identity and there's continuity in their existence that differentiates the Christian understanding of the afterlife away from what you would find in many other world worldviews. Um, so I'm going to just kind of a note on that and uh, look out for the word um, monastic here um, as I'm as I'm reading through this. Um, the this is an idea that's pervasive in a lot of Eastern religions. You'll notice many of the ones that I list off here in a moment um, fall into that. This idea that when you die, you merge back into the eternal. I don't know what you would call it, thing, essence, being, but you, in that merging back in, lose your identity. You are no longer you. Uh, the Christian worldview, even when it comes to the intermediate state, is clear in regards to you maintaining your identity. You do not merge back into some eternal essence. Um, our view of the world is not uh, monastic in, in any way. So uh, the note that I, that I put down uh, here, uh, it's also, also worth noting that the idea of a unique and preserved identity that maintains continuity over time is a distinguishing belief that differentiates our understanding of the intermediate heaven with monastic views of the afterlife held by many other religions like Hinduism. Buddhism, Taoism, Neoplatonism, Sufism, uh, pantheism, panentheism, and that's just to name a few. So this is a differentiating point that Scripture makes clear to us and that we can see when we evaluate these encounters. So we'll see this again when we look at this next text, this idea that there is a, there is a continuity between your existence in this life and the next, even including the intermediate state before the resurrection, 
Um, and we can draw this out from the very nature of beings that are, as far as we know, their primary mode of existence is a spiritual existence, right? So that, that being the angels here. So uh, with that being said, we have a couple of new texts that we did not get a chance to cover last week that we will quickly cover this week, and then we'll draw some conclusions. So hopefully I did a decent job of kind of bringing us back into where we left off last week. We were, were, or I keep saying last week, it was a couple of weeks ago. Um, But we were were way deep in this, and I felt super bad that we couldn't draw it to a conclusion at that point because I knew it was going to take an effort to try to reel us back in and get the context set up for us to be able to pick up where we left off last week because it was... Last week, I did it again. <laughs> when I say last week, y'all know I don't mean last week. <laughs> I say last week, and y'all are like, are you the only one that showed up? <laughs> that, was, that was not the fire week. That was actually, that was Thanksgiving. And we did not have service last week. So, Landon, it wasn't last week. Reminder to self. All right. So Acts chapter 12 is where we're going to pick up this week, and it's where we left off week before last. (laughs) Got it, got it. All right, so turn with me to Acts chapter 12. We're going to look at verses 6 through 11 here. So like I I was doing last week for these long runs of text, I'm just going to read through it, and then we're going to go back, and I'm going to try to point your eyes towards some important pieces for us to draw out from this, all right? So follow along with me in the text if you have your Bibles, and I hope that you do. Now, when Herod was about to bring him out, on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries And sentries before the door were guarding the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him, saying, Get up quickly. And the chains fell off his hands. And the angel said to him, Dress yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and followed him. He did not know what was being done by the he did not know what was being done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. When they had passed the first and the second guard, they came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them of its own accord, and they went out and went along one street, and immediately the angel left him. When Peter came to himself, he said, Now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all the Jewish people were expecting. So let's go back through and let's look at a couple of this. is kind of following that same theme. We're just trying to get kind of a preponderance of evidence here. We're just building up. We're building up from where we left off last week, and we're just continuing to kind of stack up what we can know um, about spiritual beings interacting with our world from Scripture. Uh, So I'm hoping to build up, as we do this type of approach as well, I'm hoping to build up a pattern that we're working through as we're doing this, that if we pay attention closely to the details, we can actually come to some really, really good conclusions, Um, even though oftentimes when it comes to these types of things, we may feel like there's not enough in there to draw conclusions from. Uh, I encourage you, if you pay attention to the details, you absolutely can. So in verse 7, note, an angel of the Lord did what? Stood next to him, right? Stood next to him. 
Continuing on in that. And he struck Peter on the side and woke him. He did what to Peter? Some might say punched him. Some might say jostled him. (laughs) He woke him up. Okay? He woke him up. Alright? Now... Let's, let's continue. There's, this, is, this is an interesting point to make. So, he, the, this angel came, stood by him. What's required for an angel to stand by somebody? A, there's a physical presence there. For, I want you, when you read this, these texts regarding angels, I want you to consider the the. There are some presuppositions to the language that's used, right? For you to be present, what does that mean? For you to be present here tonight, what does that mean? Physical form. But even even before that, you're presupposing that you exist in space and time, right? Like that's a that comes with the language of the text. And it's easy for us just to read it and move over it. But this angel exists in space and time. That's part of the universe that we understand. Right? Came to that conclusion previously. This angel, when it speaks about him being beside, it presupposes that he is in space and time. It presupposes that he was beside him at a specific time. And that time passed as he was with him. There are things that we can think about and understand as we consider this. So the angel of the Lord stood next to him. He was present with him in space and time. He struck Peter on the side. He hit him. He jostled him. He got his attention and woke him up. Was, this, was he physically touching him when he did this? Absolutely. And then he said, with his voice, get up quickly. Again, we've said this. this is not the first time we've seen angels speaking. It's not the first time that we've drawn the conclusion that for that angel to speak, and you hear it in your ears, it's interacting with the space around it. Right? Very physical in its interactions. And the angel said to him again in verse 8, and he said to him further on in verse 8, And he went out and followed him. They went out together. So the angel that was beside him wakes him up. They move on. Interestingly enough. Now, was this, did this really happen? Was Peter sure of it? Not at first. Not at first. Yes. So there's like a like a very real aspect to this, but then there's also an aspect that, that seems unreal. That seems unreal. That's the reality. Like these encounters have this feeling that leaves people in this place of oftentimes like at least for a moment moments of confusion. Like what's going on here? So much so that it's easier for us who are accustomed to the physical but not necessarily always accustomed to the miraculous to assume when heaven enters into our reality, our first default, which should probably be the first default, 
is that these things don't happen. Must be a dream. Right? And that was his. But he wasn't left feeling that it was just a dream. He came to the conclusion. And the text, the text tells us this here in, in verse 9 here where it says, And he went out and followed him. And it says, He did not know that what was being done by the angel was real. But thought he was seeing a vision. Okay? So he thought it was a vision. But what does God's word say this was? Real. Right? He's, he's, he's awakened. This miraculous thing happens. He's walking out. There's this angel. Perhaps he's seen him before. Perhaps he's never seen him. Who knows? Like, but they're leaving. And in his mind, he's thinking, this is a dream. This is a vision. Like, what does this mean? It takes a moment. Like, they're out, right? Like, it doesn't just come to conclusion, like, immediately, like, oh, this angel woke me up and we're leaving. Like, they're, like, out of the prison before he's like, you know what? That happened. You know how that happened? Because I'm really out of the prison right now, right? Like, I'm actually physically not in jail. The sequence is there. What Brittany was saying, the chains fell off, the gate all these things that don't normally happen. They don't normally happen. Right? Yeah, like he, this was a prison break like no other. Yes. Their job is to keep you. <laughs> how, how in the world, right? How in the world? Whatever it was, it wasn't in his head. Whatever it was, Scripture says that it was real. Because if he didn't, if it says, if it can say this, right? He didn't know that what was being done by the angel was real. He didn't know it. It's not that it wasn't, it's that he didn't know it. What it actually was, was real. It happened, he was there, the angel was there present with him. That what This wasn't a figment of his imagination, that was not a vision, and they went out, it says in the latter part of verse 10, and they went out and went along the street. So again, like the angels with him, present with him, they're walking together, and immediately the angel left him. Um, and oftentimes when we look at this, we look, like, did it, did he like, like, just disappear like a ghost? Like, that's where we focus, right? Like when we think about him immediately disappearing, we, we immediately jumped to like how crazy it would be if he was like walking by him and he looked and then he, oh, he's not there anymore. Pause before he disappears, right? Pause before he immediately disappears. And he looks to his left. What does he see? With his own eyes. What, is he, what was he touched by? Really touched by? A heavenly being. A heavenly being. Right? So a heavenly being interacts with this world in a way that's real, that's memorable. This is clearly not a vision as well. So there's so many physical interactions in this. Like, 
We could be here all night if we were exploring all of them. Um, Some questions that I have as I consider this. Is it possible that they have natures that, like our own, have a large component of them that are physical? Like, that's what I think when I read texts like this. Like, it seems when we see the angelic world, when we see the heavenly hosts, we see them interacting with us, it leads me to a question about the nature of that. Like, is that a special thing that occurs once? Or is that, like, you and I, we are physical and we know it, right? Like, we are physical beings that interact with this physical world around us, and there's no denying that, right? We have a harder time extrapolating away spirit from the physical than we do knowing what it's like to be physical, right? I had to go to the chiropractor today to get my shoulder worked on because my shoulder's real, and it's got issues because I sleep on it wonky, right? Like, we all know what it's like to be Real. When we read texts like this, immediately we oftentimes like think towards the nature of the spirit. And I want us to pump the brakes on that for a minute. And I want us to say, let's fast forward beyond the resurrection. Okay? So like let's uh, let's take our imagination and push it forward. Jesus has returned. Heaven and earth have been joined together. You and I are perfectly restored, renewed. We are living in our real physical resurrection bodies. And we look to the left. Do we see the angels standing there? Right? Like, will we see angels in heaven? Absolutely. Absolutely. What will their nature be there? Yeah. Uh, but yet, at the same time, the the revealing or the allowing or the lifting of the veil that you pointed out in our physical ability to actually see that it's more of an inept ability that we have, God given, yeah. God ordained. Yeah. We're not, we're not actually capable of seeing now, but yeah. absolutely will be removed. Yeah. Like like we think we see clearly, but. There's a reality when we explore things like this that shows us that we don't see the whole picture as we know one day we will, right? So um, that's just some thoughts as, a, as I kind of consider texts like this, especially with the angels, like real physical interaction. Like it, it causes me to think about their natures. Like is there an element to their nature that we don't think about but that is real and physical? Or these moments like this, some special thing that only happens, right? As I continue to dig and dig and dig into this, I I go more away from that understanding towards an understanding um, that there's a component of their nature, of who God has made them, that we will one day see in eternity that we'll have real physical interactions with them, right? See them with our eyes then. So uh, that being said, let's continue on. Um, so unless we think that, um, and, the, and the next text that I'm going to bring out um, is one of those um, 
to kind of guard us against the idea that these types of encounters with so there's in in me there is this hesitancy to say what I'm going to say in the up and coming portions of this. And I want to put out for you my hesitancies before we get into it. So my hesitancy is that you are looking for spiritual things all around you when you should be focusing on God's call for bringing the gospel to the nations. That we become a people who are only looking for special manifestations of the heavenly in our lives while failing completely to take the gospel to the nations, right? There's a like when we consider these things, it is mind-boggling to consider. And it's a thing that's easy at least for me to capture my attention and to look towards, right? And there are those who will find themselves captivated by these things so much that they will focus on on these types of things while never focusing at all on like the core elements of what it is that God's called us to and where he's called us to go and how he's called us to serve. So um, with that being said, with that being said, um, with kind of the that guardrail of like, don't lose your mind in these things for the sake of seeing something spiritual, like you will see Jesus face to face and the lives that you live here are more important than how many angels you encounter along the way, right? Um, but with that being said, don't think that these realities are reserved for the spiritual elite, right? Don't think that these realities are like somehow a reality that's like segmented off only for Peter or only for Paul or only for name your person from the Bible that you're a fan of, right? And this next text that we're going to read in Hebrews chapter 13 points out this reality, right? So um, Hebrews chapter 13 verse 2 says, Do not neglect... To show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unaware. I'm going to read that again because this is a text that you yourself, you may find in that future reality that we fast forwarded to. Where you're looking to your left in heaven and you're raised to new life and you see this angel... And maybe it's the first time that you recognize them. But it may not be the first time that you've seen them. Right? Um, and that's, that's what this text is pointing to here. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unaware. What does that mean? Some of you, perhaps a number of you, have encountered in your life someone who was a stranger to you that was in fact as real as the angel that bumped him to get him out of prison was looking across the table from you or looking across the street from you or standing next to you at a bus stop. 
Or perhaps they were the one that when the car was broke down and you stopped to help, that they were there, right? This is not reserved only for the saints of old. God is working through His messengers even today. A couple of things that I want us to pull out from this. Should you expect to know they were angels? This text would seem to indicate that you should show hospitality not only because, but certainly not neglecting that. The stranger that will remain a stranger afterwards to you could have been named among the heavenly hosts. You may very well meet someone, interact with that person, them go their way, you go your way. And them having been there in that moment specifically for you. It's the real reality of this text. Okay, now let's extract some of that to help us plug it back into the kind of this preponderance of evidence that we're trying to build to answer this question. Okay, what does it mean that they were a stranger when you met them and they were a stranger when you left? What does that mean? That's there. That's there, certainly. I want you to consider this, okay? If any of you had seen angels and you'd seen the wings, you would be telling me about it right now, okay? They wouldn't be a stranger anymore because you'd be like, what's your name? Are you Gabriel? If not, do you know Gabriel? What's Right, like the interaction that they have, the interaction that we're warned against is one that you could not differentiate that angel... From me. What does that mean about the realness of that moment? What does it mean? Like you saw, what did you see? They were interacting with the world around you in such a way as it did not even give off hints of a clue that they were heavenly. Or perhaps it did, and you felt it. And then when you see them again on the other side, you're like, I knew it! I knew it! I couldn't put my finger on why that was an interesting encounter, but it makes sense now that I see you again here in eternity. Right? There will be those moments. We will have those moments where you will re-encounter those individuals. Right? The way you act... To everyone is important. Sorry, this is burning. I can't stop. No, go for it. I had someone actually quote this scripture to me at the Jimmy Hill Mission when I was 19 years old. And they left the room that was locked. Um, they, they left after everyone came into the room and I was about to preach I had spent time sharing the gospel with this man and he he was testing me the whole time asking me questions about my understanding of the gospel and um, 
So he was talking to you. So let's 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 suppose that perhaps this was an individual that was heavenly. We can, I mean, if this will we'll be speculating about it until an eternity, perhaps we find out one way or another, right? But what if it was the entire experience happened how in a dream? Absolutely natural. Natural, natural. real, physical. Yeah. I shared a meal with him. Talked with him. Was drawn, like stood next to the wall as people were coming in and locked eyes with him and he locked eyes with me and I knew we were going to have an interaction. Yeah. And I sat down with him and we talked and we discussed. He walked out with me. They corralled everybody to go into the chapel. <clears throat> closed, stand guard, closed the door. Yeah. And as people were mingling, he yells out, Hebrews 13, 1. Turns around and I lost him in the crowd. Yeah. Listen, when we get done here today, I'll give you a... I'll I'll give you... I've got got an interesting encounter myself. Um, So what do we draw from this? Is the... The spiritual, those, this one, and this, so we're in category two where the heavenly beings interacting with the physical world. If this is true, then these heavenly beings can take on a form so convincing that you would not know the difference. That they would remain strangers to you when you meet them and when you go. That they appear so real that it, can be described as nothing other than real. And we're told to show hospitality because this happens. Like this is a reality that's put forward to us. This truth in this scripture is as true for us today as it was for them. I can say to you, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, brothers and sisters, because for thereby some have entertained angels unaware. These experiences, real. As real as this moment that we are experiencing together now. Alright, let's continue on to the next one and then we'll be done. Second Kings chapter 6 verse 17. So this is Elisha who saw Elijah get taken up. Um, in a previous verse. This is Elijah here. Um, I want us to read this text and then we're going to come back and we're going to point out a couple of interesting things about this. And then we'll draw conclusions. So we're, we're really close to the end here. So, 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 17. Then Elijah prayed and said, O Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. So a couple of things to take note of. Um, This one is interesting. Um, Elisha sees it already. Okay? Now we drop into this text, go back and read it before, like whatever he has to pray for the Lord to show this guy, the Lord has already given him the ability to see it Beforehand, We don't know when that came about. We don't know how it came about. All we know is that we're dropped into this encounter. And Elisha sees it because he prays for this guy. So take that 
take that into account. Elisha sees this already. His eyes have been opened in such a way. I don't know if it's some perpetual way. I don't know if it was shown to him moments before or, or what. But Elisha dropping into this text already sees these beings all around. He knows that he's protected here. All right. And then what does he do? He, says, he prays and he says, open his eyes that he may see. Again, where was the problem? So Elisha could see it here. This guy could not see. All he could see was the problems that were surrounding them. And he prays that he would have his eyes opened. And the Lord does, in fact, grant that request. His eyes are opened. He can see. And what does he see? The mountains. The mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire. Okay. So he can't see this, but there are surrounding them in this moment like heavenly hosts set up like they're ready for battle. Like the language that's given here is like it's full of horses and chariots of fire. So he, okay. Man. Consider for a moment, if you go out, go to a pasture where they have animals, okay? You're going to look out there and what are you going to see? You're going to see animals, okay? <laughs> Water on the mountains that he does not see. What? Listen. Listen, I fear stepping into heresy here. Are we saying that there are spiritual horses? That's pretty cool, man. Are we, is, that what, is that what we should conclude from this? <laughs> Think about this, though. He's like, open his eyes. If it was a horse like you and I would normally see a horse, you would have already seen it. But he prays that he would see and his eyes are open to the spiritual reality. And apparently, when he can see this reality as it's seen by Elisha beforehand, his description is of horses and chariots of fire. Like, what's going on here? Like, it's okay if you read this text and you're like, huh. Because I read this text and it makes me very uncomfortable because I'll speak to you all day about there being angels. (laughs) (laughs) But you're telling me that his eyes were open and he saw horses and chariots. What are chariots made out of? When you picture a chariot in your mind, what is it made out of? Like, if, you were to, if I were to have a chalkboard and ask you to draw a chariot, horses and chariots, what would you draw? You'd draw. It'd probably be of wood. Maybe, of, maybe you draw it of metal or iron or something strong, right? But, like, you're going to draw something that's got wheels on it. It's going to be very much a, what, physical thing, right? Consider for a moment. His eyes were opened... And he saw vehicles with his eyes. What's that all about? Right? What's that all about? Perhaps, perhaps, the spiritual reality 
that we will one day be awakened to is far more rich in its experiences than we dare to imagine oftentimes, right? I'm not a heretic to say that his eyes were open and he saw horses and chariots. <laughs> the Bible says that. Let's deal with that. Let's consider what that might mean, right? Where were they from? Where did they go? Why were they there? They were there for protection, for sure. I'm sure it was angels. <laughs> Happy angels driving them, right? But like when he saw it, he's not like, I see Gabriel over there. He's like, I saw horses and chariots of fire. <laughs> yeah, like this is, here's the thing. Yeah, I, I want us just, I'm, just think about that. That's what I want you to do, right? Think about that and what that might mean about what the spiritual world looks like. And no, when I say looks like, that I'm having to import a reality that's physical, right? Like for me to say something looks like a thing, it has an appearance, right? I'm going to use physical terms to describe it. When they were describing this, as best as they know how, they were describing it in terms that were very physical. They were on the mountain, right? Um, so with all of this, we're going to kind of come to a conclusion. Now, again, I've had to scroll through like 50 things here that just like either fell outside of the scope of, of um, the area of, of research that we limited ourselves to. Um, I, I want to read again before the conclusion that kind of narrowed scope because there are plenty of other experiences that might be classified as uh, visionary in, in their nature or something like that. Those were excluded. Our categories were scriptural accounts where a living human being encounters heaven. That was category one. And the second category, scriptural accounts where heavenly beings interact with our physical world. So with that being said, and all that we've looked at so far, I'm going to read the conclusion. We're done. All right. So reflecting on the scriptural evidence, it seems clear that heaven, especially the intermediate heaven, intertwines the physical and spiritual realms. Jesus' physical ascension, Elijah's bodily ascent, Paul's uncertainty surrounding his experience in paradise suggests that heaven can accommodate physical entities and experiences that have some familiarity with the physical experiences that we understand. This, further, this is further supported by narratives of heavenly beings physically interacting in our world, as in the angelic encounters with Mary, the shepherds, and Peter. These accounts indicate an intermediate heaven that is not purely spiritual, at least in the way that we often conceive spiritual existence but includes physical aspects and can interact with our world. The intermediate heaven emerges as a complex, multifaceted realm where the physical and spiritual coexist and interact in profound and mind-boggling ways. We'll end there tonight. If you have questions, and I'm sure you do, uh, we can hang out afterwards and we'll chat about those.